Okay. He's like, Wait. all right. It's the bad guys in association with the sit down Zumok podcast and inappropriate Earl, the bad guys. I'm Chad Zumox, Florida's greatest. And it's always the great comedy store regular and his new series. The jellies is on HBO max Earl Skakel. Earl, would you like to introduce today's guest? This next guest is really one of the reasons I started podcasting to meet people like him. Uh, he's done so much. I don't even know where to start uh, from <laughs> Arliss to Cobb. I know that's uh, not Tex Cobb, but Ty Cobb. And uh, I wrote the Academy Awards one year. But when I was a little kid, a little 12-year-old man, I saw a movie called The Hollywood Nights, and I really think that was one of the reasons I wanted to do comedy, because I found it so funny. And of course, years later, the cast was amazing. You had Michelle Pfeiffer, Tony Danza, Gaylord Sartain. I mean, it's a who's who, but the man who made the movie, one Mr. New Bomb Turk is with us today, Mr. Robert Wool. That was very kind of you. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's an intro. That is an intro. Mr. Wool, before we get going, is there anything you want to plug, put out in the world for people to pick up? No, I um, I would just say, uh, mentioning HBO Max, uh, yeah, I guess uh, because some of the all the work that I did for HBO is finally on HBO Max. So I would say all seven seasons of Arliss is I want HBO Max, along with the two um, comedy specials I did, Assume the Position with Mr. Wall, which were these history monologues, uh, comedic monologues that I did at NYU with real students. And uh, that was very proud of those. So that's what I'll plug. There it is. Go check it out. If you haven't already seen it, or go rewatch re it. And Earl, you were talking about Arliss before we got started, and you had something interesting. Well, I really thought that Arliss was the precursor, and I frankly think the best version of like Entourage and uh, Ballers, of course, with The Rock now, and a little bit of First in Ten. Uh, did you model yourself after a particular agent, like say Lee Steinberg? It was not modeled after, I met with all of them. I met with all of them, uh, Lee Steinberg, uh, uh, Arne Kellum, uh, uh, Mike Trope, uh, all of them, uh, uh, Drew Rosenhaus. Uh, I, I, met with all, I met with every agent. Also, I modeled it after agency. My father, uh, we had a family business. Uh, that's still around, actually. Um, so I, I, I was looking at it as a guy who ran a business. Uh, he had just had a very unique clientele, but it's about a guy running a business. So, and also agents in general. You got to remember, agents by nature are parasitic, in the sense that they're taking. Well, they're taking a commission. Of, I don't mean it in in the, in the that's. Uh, I mean it in that they work on commission. So uh, they, they, whether it's a travel agent, a real estate agent, a, a, an acting agent, any kind of agent, they work on commissions. So all agents have that much in common dealing with clients. The Arliss just had to have a unique client base because it was basically very young. And their, their career lifespan opportunities were very short uh, as far as earning powers. Uh, it was... And, it, you know, so, and I knew the world. That's the other thing. I, I knew business. I knew human nature. And I knew a little bit about sports. I knew enough about sports and human nature. So that's why I was um, 
That's why it was an easy, you know, the, the HBO came to me with, with the idea. And uh, I was, you know, it's great. So nice. Thank you for the kind words about all those other shows. Uh, now, Mark Wahlberg will tell you flat out that Arliss was absolutely the inspiration for Entourage. You know, he, Mark and I worked, you know, we were at the same gym for a long time. He absolutely would make no bones saying Arliss was the inspiration for it. First and 10, I had nothing to do with. Um, no, that was, that was actually first and 10 kept me off the air for about, <laughs> truthfully, because the, because at that time, the president of HBO, Michael Fuchs, uh, who started HBO uh, pretty much original programming. He, he first and 10 had been his show and it was to him an embarrassment. Well, I don't know if it was an embarrassment, but, uh, but he would not give the green light to, to Arliss because he thought he knew the sports world. And he, it wasn't until he got fired that the next president said, I think this is funny. And he gave me the green light. Yeah, first and 10 actually kept me off the air for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, the other ones, I, I've only seen Bowlers once. I, I watched it uh, once and I said, OK, I see what they're going for. Now, again, all I shouldn't uh, I got to say all series evolve. They're all organic processes, so I don't know what it's changed to over the years because I only watched the first few episodes, first two or three episodes. Um, so I, I um, so uh, but th- those kind words, thank you. Did you find agents coming up to you after that saying, "Dead on, dude, you're doing it exactly the way you're some, supposed to do it"? Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> for sure. What was interesting about agents is I would bring up a hypothetical. To them talking under, you know, and I began, they got to become, become friendly with them. And I would bring up a hypothetical. And then invariably, they most of them, I won't say all, but most of them would say, well, listen, I can't talk about this, you know, you know, on the record. And then they would go ahead and rat out all their clients. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. Now, what we would do in our list is we would change the sport. We were never on the nose. If we had a story that we knew about, that we had heard about, we would, or, or a character, we would change the sport. We were never on the nose about anything. But if you knew sports, you said, ah, oh, I know what this is about. You know, this is, not, we had a, uh, uh, I remember we had a, um, I think the first year we had a biracial Asian uh, tennis player, which was the wunderkind of all time. Now, obviously that was based on Tiger Woods. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but he had his mother, you know, who was his guiding force. So, uh, but we would never be on, some, one or two people caught stuff that we did. Uh, some smart sports writers would say, great way, way to tell the so-and-so story. I don't want to mention names, but, um, but uh, we were never on the nose. Never did that because it, it was fictional. Uh, I guess your time's up. I don't know. What was that bell all about? No, it's, I get, I'm, getting, I'm getting texts. The show, show is too popular. <laughs> now, did you have some text from- Go ahead, Earl. Well, I, I think, uh, how did you like doing this special episode of Arliss uh, that involved pro wrestling and uh, WCW Nitro? That was uh, quite fun, I thought, from my perspective. Were you a pro wrestling fan at all? Growing up as a kid, uh, not really now. However, it was popular sport. They couldn't have been nicer, the people there. I learned a lot. What I took from that episode, I would, by the way, when I, and of course they asked me to be on their show, which being the loyal son of a bitch I am, I had to say yes, and I did. And I was never more uncomfortable on a show in my life, but I did it. I, I tried to do the best I could. Um, the thing I took from the wrestling episode was meeting the, you know, meeting the wrestlers and talking to them about, you know, and I usually talk to them about, you know, work 
I said, what, what kind of hospitalization do you guys have? You know, and they say, we don't get hospitalization. <laughs> I was shocked to hear that. And I would say stuff like, let me ask you, I've always wondered, when you hit a guy over the head with a chair, what is the procedure? How do you do it? And he goes, you hit him over the head with a chair. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing, uh, you know, there about that. Also, I got to be in the dressing room before uh, for the WWF show. That was fascinating. Watching these guys so beat up and so, uh, and of course we talked about steroids uh, off the record there. And uh, they were all saying pretty much, if it makes you bigger, take it. Um, that part, that, that, that part of the wrestling, they couldn't have been nicer. They really were nice. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we're comics. So it's, I, we talk to wrestlers all the time and it's such a nomadic, we're, it, we're, we're, it's so, such a parallel career. We don't have health insurance. We're getting screwed over by bookers. We got the booker own travel. It's, yeah, so it's not the same. Come on. You don't have anybody jumping up on top of you, cracking your head with a chair, jumping up from time. Come on. It's not the, that, that hardly. Yeah. Okay. You don't have hospitalization, you know? Okay. I'll give you that. But it's like uh, getting screwed over. That's every performance. That's a, yeah. Yeah. That's I guess every, every, but not to them. You don't, you know, no, 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 no. Others, um, that's, that's a tough physical, physical. I mean, that's you know, their life. What's their life expectancies? I think comics like George Burns was 90, 101. How many wrestlers you see 101? Um, all of them, if you combine their ages. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Earl. Yes. Earl is correct. And by the way, you've never seen Earl perform. He's very physical. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> listen, there, listen, there were some hecklers I would have loved to jump from the stage on, you know, I'll tell you that. Yeah. You didn't do stand-up comedy at all, did you? You just happened to be a comedic actor or no, no, I did stand up. I had a HBO special, a comic special. I was on one of the very first young comedian specials. Oh uh, yes, I forgot. I, I escaped uh, yeah, me. No, I did I started out as a stand-up comic from 77. <sighs> all the way to well, I did it even during Arliss, I would tour. Uh, it was mostly after all this, but then I started doing the uh, the monologue shows, the history shows. Yeah, my biggest problem with being a stand up comic, and I I, I was it was pretty good. Um, I mean, I was uh, you know they'll t ask people when I was at the Improv, my my class was in New York uh, and Catch a Rising Star in like seventy seven. Uh, my class was Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David. Um, uh, you know, the Keenan Waynes, Paul Reiser, uh, Gilbert. I mean, we were all starting together. So, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, so uh, yeah, I did stand up quite a long. My biggest problem was uh, I, I never wanted to be stand. I wanted to be in film, you know, I, I used right. to, as a stepping stone, like Woody Allen and Mel Brooks and stuff like the Paul Mazursky. But I, I uh, loved the actual art form. I hated hecklers. I, no, yeah. I didn't hate. I hated. I hated drunks. That's what I really hate is drunks, and that's not the profession to be in until you become a star and you can do the theaters to be in, especially drunk women. And you, uh, ugh, I mean, going out. Of, I, I did not like that part of it, so I was not. And and also being on the road brought out all the bad habits in me, uh, which there were quite a few. Sure. No, I agree with you. I hate drunk women too. <laughs> yeah, but drunks, drunks in general. I'm not. I mean. 
Drunks in general. Oh, yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. I don't like drunks. I don't drink. So, I mean, it's not uh, – that's that's one of the few vices I never had because my whole family was diabetic. That's why. That's why. Well, Earl's he's, – he's, he doesn't drink either. So, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah I, I've, I've never had a drug or drink in my life. So, uh, I, I don't know how I've lasted this long. Yeah. No. That's that's. Are you funny? <laughs> I mean – No, the I reason I – any comic is – I, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't mean Any to... comic who says he's funny probably isn't funny. Well, uh, <laughs> well, that's probably true. But but the reason I asked him, we actually did a show about that once. About you know, Richard Pryor would talk about how he thought he was much funnier when he was high, and uh, to be honest with you, he probably was. Um, the there are a lot of people who uh, we did a story on on Arliss that way. It was about an, uh, an alcoholic golfer who you know gave up a female go- woman golfer who was an alcoholic. And uh, she was fairly successful and she had won some big tournaments and then she got sober and did not win again. And then she, you know, she's fighting the urge to, you know, to, you know, she wants to compete. And so if that's what makes her, gives her more confidence, well, that's, that's a choice you got to make. Was it based off John Daly? No, it wasn't based on a golfer. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it was based on, but it was based on anything. I mean, comics, uh, I know a lot of people like that who d- did better work. Did you ever see the movie Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas? When he, Yes. He, right. Well, he talks about uh, writing under the influence and he's sober now. And he said, you know, a lot of great work was written under the influence. So, and I agreed with that. <laughs> now working on our list, I mean, you, you come across some, all these amazing athletes. I mean, were there some that you were surprised were actually pretty good, like actors or performers? Well, first of all, it's all about how comfortable they are. Here, here's the deal. You, the, the trick was never let them push plot. They're not there to push plot. They're there for texture, and they're there to serve. And remember, most of the time, with rare exceptions, the athletes were booked upon who was available and who was on the West Coast. Uh, that's really – so we would write TBD. So we didn't know who the athlete was going to be until maybe a week or two before. So then we would change it for them. But it was just written so that anybody could pretty much fit in. Now, there are exceptions. Roger Clemens, David Wells. Clemens and I were friends for a long time. And I knew Roger and David Wells would say anything. And they would do anything. So I had more leeway with them. Uh, Barry Bonds, believe it or not, was the same way with me. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Barry was great to us. Barry, was I, I would think he would be kind of I, – because of a reputation, but that's cool. Yeah, but again, you know, social issue. Yeah. I met Barry and Rod. I met, ba- I met these guys before. Did Arliss start yet? 90? I don't think Arliss had started when I first met him. I think about 93. It's when the Marlins first came in. So I don't know. When, about Was Clemens playing for the Red Sox or Blue Jays at the time? Red Sox. Okay. Yeah, oh, so no. you knew Roger back then. Wow. Oh, yeah. I knew Roger and Barry. I, I got to know a lot of the baseball players and athletes. Barry Larkin. Um, a, a lot of the guys, and, it's, and I've stayed friendly with all of them. The uh, so because you're, you you have the you know they trusted me, so I could push them in different directions. There were a couple of people who were very good. To, uh, we found out that the Lincoln Kennedy, the uh, lineman, was a drama minor in college, <laughs> so I could actually give him something. He pushed plot. He actually pushed plot. So because I showed him a movie, I said, "This is what I want." Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, it's well, anyway, he was, the storyline was his mother was being buried, was in a, uh, no, we had to take his mother's casket, like a cross country tour for some, uh, up to wherever it was. We had to take the casket in the back of the car, whatever. And, or we were, they were burying her. So I forgot what it was, but I showed him 
it's a mad, 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 mad world. Because if you remember that movie, Dick Sean is going to see his mother and he's driving, Mama, I'm coming to get you, Mom. And I said, watch this. This is what I want. So he could do that. That was one of the few times. The athletes were okay, but you don't want to ask them to do something they're not capable of doing. You know, that's, uh, that's just not right. What Now, here's what I will say. Most good athletes are coachable, which means they take direction. So the more reps or takes you give them, the better and more comfortable they would get with each take and each, you know, or each rep. So that's what they were good. And, and most of them were pretty, you know, were fine. Uh, Reggie Miller was terrific. I'm not going to count the broadcasters. I expect them to be good. Yeah. I mean, Reggie Miller stood out to me. Roy Jones Jr., brilliant. Um, they A couple of them really jumped out and were a lot of fun. What about in Blue Chips? Do you have any scenes with uh, Shaq and Penny? No. Okay. All right. Earl? Uh, am I wrong? And, you know, when I watched Arliss, I always uh, thought that it was kind of a combo of the white shadow and, and maybe North Dallas 40 in terms of, uh, yes, it was supposed to be funny, but you guys also tackled some serious subjects like alcoholism and, and stuff like that. Was there a conscious effort to like blend humor and drama into that show? Yes. Uh, to the, on my part, in the beginning, it was a comedy. In the beginning, I didn't go into serious things at all, social issues. Then as we, I wanted to be more like MASH. And uh, White Shadow, I've never seen, even though I had Rob, Ken Howard on the show a couple of times. Once as Mickey, a Mickey Mantle character, another time as a Bobby Knight character. Uh, he was a great man. Uh, I miss him. Uh, but I never really saw the White Shadow. But I, I get what you're saying. I, I could pretty much pick it out. Uh, North Dallas 40, which is far and away the best football movie. Um, yes. Uh, that was about the business of, of football, which I like, but I was more interested in, in darker issues. You know, like you said, alcoholism, Alzheimer's, uh, gay athletes by, tri you know, by sex, uh, transgender athletes, uh, domestic abuse. Uh, and it's funny because now that we came back on the air, you know, we started streaming it. Suddenly, everybody keeps talking about, oh, geez, we didn't know how you had all these social issues on the show. You know, it was ahead of its time. That's what I keep hearing, ahead of its time. I said, I wish I was of my time and had Seinfeld money. The, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, but yes, that was, it wasn't in the beginning, but I had control. So I was going that way. Steroids, uh, like I said, uh, you name it, you know, we, we covered it pretty much. You know, it's funny is like, you know, we're strangers to you, but we've known you pretty much our whole life just from your body of work. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like, you, you don't have any idea who we are, but we're like, we know you. We know everything. Batman, we know it all. Like Earl was talking before the podcast, uh, Hollywood Nights is like one of his favorite movies. Hollywood uh, it really is be because, uh, you know, and I, I brought up The White Shadow. It, it reminded me of, of that from the standpoint of if you look at that cast, uh, you know, three or four of those guys later ended up becoming uh, pretty big directors, Kevin Hooks and Timothy Van Patten and Thomas Carter. And uh, Hollywood Nights was kind of the same way. I mean, if you look back at that cast, you had you and Michelle Pfeiffer and Tony Danza, and and it was also a movie. Fran Drescher. Was, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gaylord Starkey, Fran Drescher. I mean, we had quite a bit. It was he could. Uh, he was very good. You know, Floyd Mutrix had an eye for talent. There's no question about that. Interesting about you say Hollywood Nights because it was my first movie. But to this day, outside of I would say Batman and Arliss, and that's because it's a TV series and Batman. I could stop more for Hollywood Nights than anything else to this day. What happened with Hollywood Nights was interesting because 
when it first came out in the movies, it was did okay, moderate. You know, we didn't. Uh, Porky came out a year later and had much bigger numbers. And uh, Hollywood Nights did okay, but then it, it came on in the early rotation of HBO when HBO yeah. started going on, and it would be on four times a day or something like that. Uh. And fathers would watch it with their sons, and people caught on. And then what's happened is over the generations. Those sons have now grown up and they watch it with their sons. So it's become this uh, generational thing. And and, uh, and I love it. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, now, you mentioned Porky's and, and I always compare the two. Do you think, uh, I guess Porky's did better commercially because it was a little more rompier sex wise? Perhaps. I don't know. I, I, you know, uh, perhaps. I think, you know, timing is everything. You know, the timing is, I don't know. Timing, how do you stop? T- timing is everything. You have to be in the right time. I mean, for George Martin said of the Beatles, they were of their time. And now, obviously, they've st- stood the test of time. But when you first come out, you know, timing is, I did a movie called Mistress, and uh, which is one of my favorite films I've ever done. And it was about an independent filmmaker, but it came out right on the heels of the player. And mm. we got we didn't do any business at all. Timing is is a lot to do with stuff, you know, including politics. I mean, uh, I don't want to go into politics, but a friend of mine pointed out the other day. He goes, "Do you really think if COVID had not happened, would the election have come out differently?" And I said, "Yes." Yeah, well, I have absolutely. I mean, timing, timing's everything. By the way, where, where are you held up at? Are you in L.A. or New York? Or- I'm in L.A. I'm in oh, L.A. right now. Okay. Yeah. He's in L.A. too, so I was just curious. Uh, what have you been doing during the COVID? How have you been handling that since you brought it up? Not much. I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing COVID. You like it? I'm enjoying my time. <laughs> I, you know, it's like I, at this stage, I don't I, I don't do much. You know, it's like I read. I, I, I do some work. I'm planning a big birthday party. Hopefully, uh, I, I'm uh, baseball season's here, so I'm in hog heaven. Uh, I watch baseball night and day. The, um, I, you know, the weather out here has been really nice. Uh, I have a nice house. I, I have a nice office. And, uh, you know, it's I, it, I, as far as work, I mean, if somebody gives me some work, great. Otherwise, I don't, you know, it's like <laughs> I'm very happy. I've learned to cook a little bit. I watch Jacques Papin videos and I've learned to cook uh-huh. fish very well. And uh, I'm trying to keep myself in shape. I've actually lost two pounds since the whole thing started. Uh, so I'm not doing that much and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Earl? Uh, just one last question about Hollywood Nights. You know, I, never, <laughs> no, okay. I never thought I'd have you on to talk to you about this. Uh, you know, when you do, uh, like that was your first movie, and I, I think it might have been one of Michelle Fiverr's first movies. Uh, do you realize at the time that uh, some of those actors are going to be big actors? Like, did you feel like, oh, this girl's going to be big, and Tony Danza? Well, this well Tony, had, Tony had Taxi on. Taxi was already on the air. So Tony was a TV star. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, no, never in a million years. Be, uh, you know, it's like uh, she was beautiful, but uh, never in a million. And the part wasn't that much. You know, it was the girlfriend with the boy who's going away. I mean, it's not showing any chops, but I would have never guessed that she would become the great actress that she is. No, I did not guess that. Sweet girl, always nice. Um, I ran into her again about two years ago, two or three years ago. It was great to see her. Um, 
Uh, we've always, I, 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 I find good friends. I have a dear friend to this day, PR Paul, who played one of the Knights, is a very, he's one of my two or three closest friends we've stayed. Uh, so, but no, no, to the other questions, no. It's not that like, kind of movie. Wasn't that kind of movie that you thought, wow, this guy's a great actor. I think I still see uh, Stuart Pankin uh, on uh, late night infomercials uh, selling uh, foot pain powder. So it always makes good. Good. He's he's making a living. Good. (laughs) What's your baseball team? I am a baseball fan. Yeah, I know that. I was saving it. Um. I grew up in New Jersey, so I, I, you know, I'm also a big, I have a great motto that I live by, and it's life is always better when the home team wins. And I, and I really do like to live by that, which, and by the way, I don't mean just sports. I mean, in family, in business, in politics, whatever, life is always better when the home team wins. Uh, people are in a better mood around you. The so I live in New York and L.A., so I root for the four teams, you know, there. Uh, but I also used to you know, go to college. I sold beer in the Astrodome, so I was always partial to the Astros. And I like baseball cities like Baltimore and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And uh, I love the I mean, I just like baseball. I like Major League Baseball. Now, I think there's a thousand things wrong with it that could be better. But I that's my you know passion. Um but I do love, I, I just, you know, do I like, like I said, it's better like when the home teams are winning because it's just more interesting. Uh, you know, with the Yankees, I, and I have good friends on the front offices of a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, I'm going back to New York in about two weeks. So I'll be able to go to see the, the teams, you know, in person. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fortunate that, you know, between the Mets, Yankees, Angels, and Dodgers, you got four pretty, Decent, you know, usually pretty decent teams. Right now, the Yankees are not very good, and I don't expect them to be very good this year. I really don't. I yeah. don't like. I don't like the way the ball clubs put together. Poor. I think they got. It, listen, it's a very long season. We're only about twelve uh, percent of the season in, so I mean, it is a long narrative. That's the great thing about baseball. I love it. It's the narrative. You know, it's not like you know it goes on forever. It's a you six know, month sport. You know, the Astrodome structure is still there. It's just yeah. sitting there vacated. Yeah. That's weird. I'm not even sure they can legally tear it down. It might be a landmark or so. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, the rats are loving it. They got a gray palace to live in. <laughs> Actually, before well, the- I don't think. Go ahead, Earl. I don't think the building was ever the same after they filmed Bad News Bears 2 there. They just couldn't. <laughs> Probably right. I was there during that. Oh, was, really? Yeah, I was at school doing that. By the way, the original Bad News Bears, I will argue, is the most underappreciated sports movie of all time. The original. They, they could never make that movie today, though. That's the no, problem. they tried, and it was god awful. It was so fucking PC that it was <laughs> uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, I was well. Here's something you know. It, everything's changing. You know, every I was watching on YouTube. You know, my first job was writing for Rodney Dangerfield, and oh, cool. I watched actually on YouTube the first Tonight Show that I wrote. That I did. He used one of my jokes. And I realized after it was over, couldn't do that joke today. Couldn't, wow. Couldn't do it. Did you ever do stand up on the Tonight Show? Yes. Oh, wow. Is, is it on YouTube? I hope not. <laughs> Did Johnny call <laughs> you on the couch? Uh, I don't think it was with Johnny. I, was I with Johnny? I don't remember. I should remember that. No, I remember David Brenner, Gary Shandling, all the guests. So I don't know if I was on with Johnny. Huh. And I don't know. Uh, I know I did get called over the couch by the other guys. Not. I don't think I did it with Johnny. 
it's amazing just looking at your IMDb. Your your career is like all pop. It's all our pop culture. It's un- you you've had your hand in all of it. It's like you were there. You were there like the Batman, everything. It's crazy. Bull Durham. It's it's nuts. What entertainment isn't pop culture? I'm think. just saying like like everything I know in my life, my adult life in my 40s, like it, it, you were a part of it. Well, that's nice. I'm glad that, you know, especially <laughs> being as old as I am. Yeah. Now you brought up Batman. Let me ask. You. Go ahead, Earl. Well, I've often wondered, you know, I never thought I could ask you a question about Bad News Bears, but. Like, I agree with you. That first one is just, uh, it's almost perfection in terms of the time. And, uh, you know, th- all those kids playing the, the baseball players, they didn't seem like actors to me. And, and I thought that that's where the remake failed was, it seems like they just hired Billy Bob Thornton to mimic Walter Matthau. And then all those kids seem like they'd been given acting lessons. And like, you'll never be as good as the OG Tanner Boyle. The original Bad News Bears is about America. It's uh, the, the director, Michael Ritchie. You know, in the 70s, there were three, maybe four directors who, you remember, this is the Vietnam, the Vietnam War era and a Watergate era. So the, there were three or four directors who were holding a mirror up to America and showing, uh, you know, America as they saw it. Hal Ashby was one doing uh, his film Shampoo and uh, stuff like that. Uh, Robert Altman was another. And the other was Michael Ritchie, who did three movies in a row, or actually four movies in a row, which really were big-time satires, black comedy. had a big influence on me. Uh, There were Downhill Racer with Robert Redford, which was about an egotistical skier. Uh, The Candidate with Robert Redford, which was about American politics. The Bad News Bears, which is about small-town America. Americana and Little League and the, you know, any kind of, his thing was all about icons, the Olympics, the election, Little League. I mean, and he did another movie called Smile, which is about beauty pageants, which is one of the great underappreciated comedies of all time. Uh, But he was, the original Bad News Bears is about America and about American values. Um, in, In the context of a Little League, you know, story about these misfits. Uh, but, you know, when you see the other characters in this Vic Morrow and all, and these people are gung ho about all this America stuff. Um, it's a, it's a, I always claim it's the most underappreciated sports movie. You know, the thing, the thing about sports movies, Ron Shelton, the writer director of Bull Durham, uh, and I used to discuss is why do most sports movies suck? And they do. I mean, it's, I, I watch all of them, but they do. And what it basically comes down to, with very rare exceptions, is they usually come down to the big game. And, you know, there are no big games. If you're really going to you know, talk, there are, how many big games are there? And, and, all, and they all come down, and when there's a big game, they're always told, or 90% of them are told, from the point of view of the fan. And the fan only cares about one thing. Did the team win or lose? That's it. They don't care how you got there, what you did to get there, what happened. They don't care. All they care about, did the team win or lose? Well, the great sports films, you mentioned North Dallas 40. It's not about whether the team wins or loses the big game. Really not. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Great movie. Doesn't depend on the, the Hustler. Doesn't depend on whether the team wins or loses. Bull Durham. There is, you know, uh, it doesn't. You know, even uh, eight men out, 
it doesn't really depend on whether the team wins or loses. It's about them throwing it. Uh, the really good ones, and and usually, I and usually your best ones, the team probably loses. In the I mean, bad news bears team loses. Uh, Rocky Rocky loses. Uh, the best game, bang the drum slowly. Another great movie. It's not about a big game. The best sports movies are about uh, you know are not about the big game because that's bullshit most of the time. Where do you rank Bull Durham in the greatest baseball movies of all time? I'm not going to make uh, take that vote because I'm going to recuse myself. But it's <laughs> but it's number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the I mean, one that I the, I mean, but usually I recruit. Same thing with Cobb. I can't talk about those movies. Uh, I mean, it's I let other people. I let other people say it's number one. The um, uh, you know, and I like baseball movies. I mean, I, I like, you know, I, I like sports movies as a rule. But, I mean, it's so, it whole, I mean, unless you're really into the big game. You know, unless you're, oh, yeah, I'm going to cheer. And it's like, okay, that's fine. That's fine when you're nine. You know, um, I have, you know, the thing about baseball especially is that baseball, unlike any other sport, celebrates losing. Baseball is all about losing. Even if you fail, if you fail 70% of the time, you're hitting 300. I mean, you're still failing 70% of the time. Uh, the three greatest pieces of literature ever written about baseball, all are about losing, which is uh, uh, Casey at the bat, Casey strikes out. Uh, take me out to the ball game, right? It's one, two, three strikes, you're out. Uh, and the other one is probably the natural, the book, not the movie, the book. The novella, because the point he was making, again, about America and about values, is that in the book, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Natural, you should, is that here's a guy who has all the talent in the fucking world, and in the book, he's thrown it away. He's drinking, he's partying, he throws games, uh, and when it comes time for him to, suddenly he has an epiphany, and he's going to repent, and he goes up to hit a home run, and they bring in another guy to pitch to him who's the new kid. He strikes out at the end of it, you know, because you, this, the, the Bernard Malamud's point is talent without character is not enough. Well, the movie ain't doing that. It's a Robert Redford movie. And it was also TriStar's first movie. It was expensive. And they made the right commercial choice. But it was too much hocus pocus for me. And the other thing about The Natural that always bothered me and I, I, I never understood this point to it. Here's a young guy, young, good-looking guy. He meets a woman, sleeps with a woman, single. She shoots him. <laughs> she, she jumps out the window. What did he do that he's got to hide for 20 years? I never understood that about the movie. It made no, no sense to me. The same way, and I'm ranting here, forgive me. No. Talk on the podcast, please. <laughs> uh, the other thing is Feel the Dreams, which I, is a movie I like a lot. But at the end, this James Earl Jones speech that they're now using all the time on a commercial, and he says, Ray, baseball reminds of us all that was once good and could be again. I go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I go, you see all these people coming out? You, James Earl, you couldn't play until 1947. You see all these people coming out from the Field of Dreams? They're all white. They went, what are you fucking talking about? Baseball reminds us of all those ones good. Give me a fucking break. 
You know, and they that's hilarious. Well, you know what's interesting is we did a panel on um, a buddy of mine was writing the musical version. They were doing a musical version for the theater of of Field of Dreams, and he was writing the book, the libretto. And I said, "You used my speech." And he goes, "Oh yeah." I go, "Let me point something out to you." And after he heard it, he went, "You know, I never thought of that." And he's then he said, "I got to change this." I go, "Good luck." Now they pulled the rights from out from under him anyway. And uh, but that's always bothered me about that. And I can't believe they're playing this, especially in today's society. They're oh, playing yeah. that thing. <laughs> that's a funny <laughs> angle. Holy shit. <laughs> See, I have to disagree with you in the big game winning because I grew up in Cleveland as a Cleveland Indians fan. And Major League is one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. And they that, that was our World Series for until we went to the World Series. I, I get that. No, it's an entertaining movie. I like that. But it's not in the class of these other films that I mentioned as a movie. See, I I like it when the team loses at, at the big game because that's to me what made like North Dallas Forty so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's a very powerful scene after the big game where Charles Durning, who's a great great actor, has a one on one with John Matuzak, who I will guess had no acting experience or very little, and it's such a powerful scene because Charles Durning is saying, "Hey, this game is a business," and John Matusak is like, you call it a business, we call it a game. When you call it a game, we call it a business. And it was like, that sounds like something that actually has been said in a locker room before. Yes. Absolutely. And if they if, if they win the big game, that scene probably doesn't happen. Right. No. And John Matusak, I think, did have acting experience because he was acting like he wasn't on juice for a long time, I think. <laughs> the uh, and, and also Charlie Durning, who was a dear friend of mine, may rest in peace, very close friend, um, played in a card game with him every week. Uh, and he was a World War II, you know, uh, he was at the battle. Uh, he was, I think he was on D-Day or the Battle of the Bulge, one of them. Um, so uh, I miss Charlie. The, uh, yeah, but yeah, stop and think of the movies that we, you mentioned. I said Rocky, North Dallas 40, Bad News Bears. I mean, The Hustler, uh, you, you know, the. Uh, Teen Requiem Wolf. Teen Wolf. They lost. Never saw <laughs> Didn't see. That was a little bit. I was a little too old for Teen Wolf. No, I think you were too. I think you were too busy making movies to watch Teen Wolf. <laughs> I'm never too busy to watch a movie. It always bothers well, me. Sports, mean, sports movies when the at, the actor clearly doesn't know how to throw a baseball or shoot yeah, a jump shot. That does you know, a lot of them are like that. Depending on how good the movie is, you can get away with it. I mean, uh, Pride of the Yankees. Another pitcher doesn't come down to the big game. Uh, Kerry Cooper couldn't play for. He had a. He, they had to hit play him at. Th- you know they had had him. He was right-handed, so they had him run to third base, and then he and then he reversed the negative. Um, you know. So what was know. the Robert De Niro one where he was playing? He's terrible. Yeah, he can't even throw. He can't even throw a ball. I hear. But but that movie is great. Bang the yeah. drums, Hulu. Yeah. That's a great movie. Uh, that was the first time I had seen De Niro because I had not seen Mean Streets yet. This is like I'm in college, and I said I don't know the guy who's playing the catcher, but I'm convinced he's an idiot. <laughs> so that's a great movie though that's a true but again i'll tell you how much you gotta know you just brought up something in that same movie danny aiello who's a friend of mine another one who just passed god i'm getting old um he was a that was one of his i think maybe his first movie first or second movie and he could play danny could play and he walks out and they get ready for one of the early shots and victor gardenia who played the manager of the team comes over to Danny and says, Danny, which one is third base? Okay, which one oh, is Oh, no. Base? By the way, 
He was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so there you go. Well, it's funny. I, I remember one time being on the beach and like I did like first and 10 just because it was like, I don't know, silly and it's didn't have to take it seriously. And I saw uh, Jason Behe. Uh, he, I think he was with his family. And I'm like, hey, you're Tom Unessa. And I had a football. Throw me the rock. And he might have thrown the worst pass <laughs> in the history of uh, throwing a pass. I'm like, oh, you're not really a quarterback. I didn't say that to him, but I was like, oh. Who's throwing those spirals then? <laughs> yeah, we were pretty good about that in Arliss, that um, if we had scenes in the arena, these guys had to be able to at least fake it pretty good. Uh, they had to do that. I mean, Ron Shelton with Bull Durham actually fired. He had a week of camp before Bull Durham started. Again, going back to the point of view of the fan, uh, Ron would say, it's, uh, he goes, I don't know what the fan is thinking. I know what the second baseman is thinking because I was a second baseman. He's thinking, I'm trying to keep my job. And that's basic. See, that's the difference. You're trying to keep your job. That's, that's universal. You don't have to know sports for that. The, uh, but he actually fired, me, he actually fired the guy who was the actor who was playing first base because he didn't think he could play well enough. Interestingly, our technical advisor, and this is back in, what, 87? Our technical advisor for that movie was the uh, co the manager of the Durham Bulls at the time by the name of Grady Little. He was mm. a good guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You don't make a good sports film, and I, I don't have any connections besides Earl to Hollywood. You don't <laughs> that, have any connections. <laughs> is the 86 Mets would be a fantastic film. I'm Why? fascinated with that team. Just I'm all not. the personalities and, like, everything that went through with Doc, Dwight. Lenny Dykstra. I mean, there's so many crazy. I, I always hear folklore about that. By the way, there's a documentary, I believe, that's just about to come out. I just saw it yesterday about the 86 Mets. But, I, you know, yeah, there's personalities. But what's what's unique about that? A bunch of crazy guys winning a World Series. The, the, the hero. I mean, the only story that really is is really is Buckner. Bill Buckner. That's the only story there. I mean, uh, and Clint, I mean, you could make a, an idea of what went wrong or what happened. I mean, when Clemens comes out of the game, whether McNamara claims that Clemens wanted out, Rogers said, I never said that. Um, I mean, and by the way, uh, about that, now uh, talking about point of view of the fan, something you just brought up about they don't care how they got there and everything. There is probably, my guess is, if you're going to list the top 10 assholes in this country right now, Lenny Dykstra is on that list. There's <laughs> not a bigger ass. There's probably, he's in the top 10 douchebags of our time. He's pretty obnoxious on Twitter. I'll give you that. Wait, I mean, he's ripped off so many people. He went to jail. He's a horrible human being, right? And yet, Mets fans, yeah, Lenny, because they won. They don't give a fuck about anything. And that's not just Mets fans, it's any fan. They don't give a fuck about anything but that the team win or lose, because Dykes is a perfect example. The other thing about this 86 series, and I've had this discussion about, I, I, sometimes I guest host on the sports reporters with Bob Ryan and Luke, Mike Lupica, Mitch Ryan. And this idea that Bill Buckner cost them the World Series is absurd. Yeah. It's uh, for a ton of reasons. Number one, the game was already tied. Okay, the game was tied, so there's no guarantee they're going to win anyway. Number two is, it's game six. <laughs> it's game six. And, they, and the Boston had a three-run lead, I think, in the fifth inning of game seven. Same thing with this Don Denkinger call at first base with Kansas City. It's bullshit. Bullshit. He blew a call at first base in the ninth inning. 
of game six. Okay. They blew a call in the ninth inning. First guy up. Okay. So you got to, that's, that's the first time somebody blew a call in the ninth inning with a man on first. Get three outs, the game's over. You win the World Series. No, you, they totally lost mentally. They crumbled mentally. And, and it was game six. Stuff like that. You know, it's like game six. You know, come on. You know, so uh, again, whether the fan, like you mentioned, the Mets, whether the fan, whether the team wins or loses. Well, it's like with uh, Steve Bartman with the Cubs, how he got blamed for that. Well, yeah, the Cubs had to pick somebody, I mean, and <laughs> uh, and, and Moises Alou had a lot to do with that. Yeah, his tantrum over the by his the, tantrum, and um, and by the way, they made they gave up what seven runs in that inning. Yeah, I mean the guy, the shortstop boots the double play ball that ends the inning. I mean, it's bullshit. Everybody likes to have a scapegoat. It's good for their narrative. It makes people feel better about themselves because they can blame somebody else. And that's, by the way, that's not just in sports. That's in everything. Now, um, did you do any Arliss episodes about hockey? Because Earl's a huge hockey head over here. He knows we everybody. Did a couple of them. We did a we did a couple of them. One we did one about a goon uh, who was really a bad guy. I mean, a really bad goon, and, and we turned him into a. Did we turn him into a wrestler? I think we did. Uh, the episode. We did another one with uh, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips played a hockey player who uh, his, I think his name was Guy Fondue. We had, I remember we always get we always name stuff after like French food. Guy Fondue, Luke Cassolet. Um, <laughs> we always did stuff like that. Um, but he was in, in in he was up in Quebec or somewhere somewhere in the middle of Canada, and he was thinking about not coming back or I forgot what it was. Um, hockey players. I mean, uh, Luke Robitaille was on the show a lot. He was such a great guy. Um, uh, but hockey, hockey players generally are always known as the nicest players. They're always the nicest athletes. Well, I think it's because they work so hard. Like, you know, I, there's a Thomas Sandstrom in the 93 finals with the Kings. He, he was playing with a broken leg. Like, yeah. Baby oh, I also think a lot of it has to do from Canada. Canada is right. a, poli- a more polite country and it's indigenous for most of it. There's not a, there's not a ton of diversity in, in hockey, a little bit more now, but not much. Yeah. Well, well, I never thought I'd get to ask you a baseball question. Uh, I, I think a better movie not to argue with Chad would be about the 79 pirates. Uh, Cause you talk about interesting characters in that locker room. Uh, and I want to ask you, because no one I know likes baseball. I think Dave Parker should be in the Hall of Fame. Yes or uh, no? Get, yes. Yes. No answer from no support from me. Also, uh, a friend of mine, David Permit, has been developing a movie about Doc Ellis and the no hitter on acid and everything. He's been developing that movie. So that's a possibility that you may see that. Ooh, oh, the pirates. oh, that's great. Yeah, the pirates are my because that's the we are family, right? We uh, yep. Yes. Well, you know, see, there you got a story because of the social implications of it. Uh yeah, Dave Parker was a great player. Dave Parker was a great player. Well, it gets but, but interestingly, but interestingly, is my friend, my manager is a diehard Pittsburgh fan. He's got more Clemente memorabilia than any person in the world. He's a uh, you know, he's Will Farrell's manager and Judd Apatow, but he's got more pirate memorabilia. And if you ask him, though, if you put, you know, put together your all-time pirate team, first team, Parker ain't on it. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, was it Clemente? Guess- Clemente. 
Do you think, uh, you know, like Dave Parker had this amazing five-year run and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, spotty after that, you know, because of injury. Uh, I would say yes. I yes. But do you think a player should be, if he has a great short prime versus a, a great, like, and then the rest of his career is up and down, do you judge it on his prime or his whole career? Uh, it depends. I'll t- let me take each case individually because um... – you know, Koufax has only got four great years, really. It's four great years. And then he has to stop. So that's part of it. It's Kirby Puckett. Oh, um, yeah. I have his rookie card. The, uh, uh, I mean, Mattingly is is the one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, like I said, Koufax has four or five great years. Well, that's only two years more than Doc Gooden had or Ron Guidry had. Uh, so... Do I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit tougher on the Hall of Fame than some. I'm not into a lot of this. Uh, Brian Kennedy, Kennedy is a dear friend, but we argue a lot. Um, I, I, I just, for me, Joey Votto is not a Hall of Famer. I mean, the numbers just aren't there. I mean, he walks. Okay, he walks. Okay, OPS is fine. On base is fine. But if you're not running, I mean, you're a first baseman batting third. You're not driving in runs and hitting home runs. I'm sorry. You walk. Okay. The um, uh, Do I think I, – again, it depends on – see, nowadays the numbers are going to be so different because you have to judge everybody in the same era. You cannot compare eras. I don't care what they say about, oh, Park adjusted so-and-so, and that's bullshit. How can you adjust? I'm watching a game yesterday, and I'm saying, okay, let's compare eras. He goes, well, these guys today are so much bigger, stronger, faster. I go, yeah. Okay, let them go back and play there. First of all, take off your batting helmet. That's number one. Take off the helmet. You get hit in the head, you get hit in the head. I go, let's take that. I go, let's take away that. Now let's take away on defense the gloves. I did a movie, Cobb, and there was a flashback sequence. Oh, yeah. With with Roger Clemens, actually. And we had to use the unit. They had to use the uniforms and the equipment. That anybody ever caught a ball is beyond me. These gloves back then, no wonder everybody hit 350, 340. There's at least five to 10 hits every 100 that bats you wouldn't get. On the same respect, where is the difference, the stat for modern medicine? I once asked Sandy Koufax, in today's modern medicine, how long would you have been out? He says, maybe six months. So where's wow. that stat? Where's that stat? Guys now have Tommy John, they're back in a year. Back then, career's over. Uh, so there's, you have to judge people in their own era against the competition they played in. It's just unfair any other way. Um, so as far as, you know, compiling, yeah. And, and by the way, somebody who compiles figures over a long period of time, yeah, there's something to be said for that too. Uh, you're not going to see anybody ever throw 300, win 300 games again. That's like, it's not even close to happening, you know? So, but then again, the win doesn't count as much as it used to. So, you know, you got to make adjustments. You know, baseball is a game of adjustments. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, you brought it up earlier. Do you think those guys like the, uh, on the juice or you think that they'll ever get in with the sports writers? They are in there. But with the sports writers in that part of it, they, all their records are in the Hall of Fame. They're in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame's a museum. This whole no. idea, this whole idea that it's the pearly gates. But like your boy Clemens, who. And, you know, and Barry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well. To me, this is like saying, "What is you got to understand how the whole of how the whole of fame was." Everybody treats us like it's the pearly gates, for God's sake! It's a building, it's a museum. That's what it is. This romanticism that these are the greatest guys. The first guy they put in the hall of fame was Ty Cobb. 
I mean, he was the first one in. He's a racist, a wife beater. <laughs> man, threw, Ty Cobb's threw games for money. He threw games. Uh, he uh, went into the stands and beat up a quadriplegic. He was a Klansman. He was every, and he's the first guy they put in. <laughs> so this idea, this idea that you've got to be holier than thou to get into the Hall of Fame is absurd. I get, because these people have this romanticized idea that um, baseball, great players, great guys. It's not. It's not. Uh, do the, I mean, Barry Bonds is one of the 10 best players that ever played. Roger Clemens is one of the 10 best pitchers that ever played. I mean, when you look at the ballots and you compare those two to everybody else who's gotten in. And by the way, how many guys already have gotten in who are, who are uh, on steroids? Are we going to talk about them? You're going to talk about Pudge? You're going to talk about Bagwell? You're going to talk about Biggio? You're going to talk about Piazza? You're going to talk about all these guys? Come on. Uh, so. Bagwell and uh, the, those Astros, are in, they're in the Hall of Fame? Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. All right. Well, well I never understood the uh, the hatred of the guys who were on roids when a guy like Gaylord Perry, Don Sutton, doctored baseballs and, and probably half their wins. So they cheated in, in their end. So yeah, I would I wouldn't put Sutton and Perry in the same category. Perry but, I mean not not Sutton. Sutton Sutton was pretty damn good pitcher. So was Perry. But I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I and think- you know, uh, I'm sure guys in the 70s with the pine tar and the bats and uh, what about the 30s and 40s and 50s they were taking shit back then they were taking greenies and well willie may said they had a thing called red juice i mean they were the athletes are always always going to take any we once during arliss there was a i remember when a poll came out and they asked 100 olympic athletes how many of you would take an illegal but undetectable you know, a product that would help your performance, knowing, knowing that it would take 10 years off your life on the back end. 97% said yes. Mm. Athletes are always going to do that. Because their job's to win. That's at all costs. Do whatever you their can. Job, get that advantage. Their job is to have a job. There you go. <laughs> what a perfect bow tie on this episode. Uh, before we let you go, Mr. Wool, uh, Earl, you have anything you want to ask? Uh, how did, one more thing about baseball, because uh, it's so exciting to ask an actual fan these questions. Uh, knowledgeable do you think, fan. Oh, yeah, beyond knowledgeable. Do you think Negro League players, if they were allowed to play like Satchel Page, how do you think Satchel Page would have done against Babe Ruth and, and, and players of that era? Uh, Tosh had know? that great bit about that. Like, would Babe hit all those home runs? I forgot how it went, but it was hilarious. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. Do you think guys like Satchel Page and, and those guys would have uh, done as good as they did if they were allowed to play in the, the league? Satchel Page comes into baseball, into Major League Baseball. Bill Veck, I think, hires him in, what, 1950-something there? I mean, and he still won about 15, 20 games. So the answer is, when you talk about Satchel Page, you know, that's – that's one. It's like saying Babe Ruth. I mean, it's like Satchel Page may be the best pitcher to ever lived. So let, let me put, put let me put the question the other way. If Walter Johnson played in the Negro Leagues, how would he do? Hmm. That's an interesting take. I, I I mean, I don't he'd think be, he would have done as well. He'd be great. He would have. Yes, he would have. I mean, I, we're, you know, I, we're taking the theory that every one of 
the players from the Negro Leagues would have been a superstar in the majors. Yeah, yeah. Would the top 15, 20% have been really good and better? Yes. Yes. You know, without a doubt. But I don't know if the last, the, the, the 20th man on the bench is going to be, you know. Uh, but yeah, the, the greats are the great. Satchel Page, are you kidding me? Satchel Page, I mean, he's he's as good as any pitcher that ever lived. But again, we're talking the very best of the very best. We're not talking about the average. I mean, outside of Satchel Page, how many other Negro League pitchers can you mention? I don't know. Actually, I just, interesting you brought it up because I'm planning a trip with my nephews just before I started this, the podcast. Uh, we're going to Kansas City in August, and Bob Kendrick is the uh, president of the Negro League Museum. Now, if you've never been to Kansas City, which is one of my favorite cities, as a comic, that was one of my favorite. Kansas City, go. The Negro League Museum is in the same building as the Jazz Hall of Fame, which is great, too. Uh, but the Negro League Museum is a marvel. You will learn stuff, and you will be shocked. Now, besides that, you got the best barbecue in the world. Oh, phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't wait to go to Joe's Barbecue there. I mean, again, and, and Gates and Arthur Bryant's. And so, I mean, they have the best, from my, in my opinion, they have the best barbecue. So Kansas City is a great day. And also, the other thing they have great is Italian food. Kansas City has awesome Italian food. Why? Because my it's a mob God. town. Ah. Do you remember the movie Casino? Yeah, of course. Where did all the money get funneled to? Kansas City. Kansas City. That's, That's why you have the Jazz Hall of Fame there because they nightclubs and you have, you know, so great Italian food because because it's always been a mob town. <laughs> and when you have mob towns, you're going to have pretty good Italian food. <laughs> All right. Before we let you go, I, I got to jam a couple questions in here real quick because I don't know if I'll ever talk to you again. <laughs> so real quick, real quick, best ballpark, your favorite player. It doesn't necessarily have to be the greatest player, but your favorite player. Uh, again, it, you know, like anything else growing up, it's generational that uh, I grew up uh, as a kid, as a young kid with Maris and Mantle. So and I was and I played right field and I was left handed here. So Maris, when I was a kid, um, there's so many great ball. I love George Brett. I love to watch her. Then there's guys I like to watch for different reasons. I mean, you talked about the Pirates. What about guys like Al Oliver? Remember Al Oliver? What a yeah, great. Yeah. Um, you, I bet you didn't expect to hear Al Oliver on the podcast today. Um, I mean, there's Number so six. many great, I love Barry Larkin. Um, I sold beer in the Astrodome and, and, uh, I, I, I liked Rusty Staub for some reason. Uh, Barry I mean, Larkin was on that Chris Sabo team. Yes, he was. That's a Barry Larkin's a great ball player. Chris yeah. Sabo, uh, the big red machine was just great. The, the, uh, there's a lot of great ball. I mean, just watching maze was beautiful. Watching, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I, 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 you know, best ballpark. That's a good one. Um, of the old ones, I mean, you have to separate them. I mean, you have to put Fenway and Wrigley in one category. And even Dodger Stadium, which is now outside of Wrigley, the oldest one in the National League. I grew up an Indians fan, but we had WGN on our house. So the Cubs games were on more. So I, I grew up watching the Cubs and I went to Wrigley for the first time. I cried. Yeah, I no, literally Wrigley, cried. Wrigley's fun. However, I got to say both Wrigley and especially Fenway, lose a lot of charm if you're sitting behind one of those posts. If you're sitting in the thing and you got one of those stands, you know, they lose. it loses a lot of charm when you got to go like this for every play. Uh, but those two now, of the new ballparks, of which are the phenomenal, uh, Camden Yards is the first one, so i got to put that in the category. Cleveland's got a good park. Progressive the, Field, Jacobs Field, I like to call it. I went to every all seven games of the uh, Marlin – 
Cleveland World Series. I was very good friends with Wayne Heisinger. He oh. So I went to I went to that game, game three, where it was like snowing and it was like 10 degrees. Ooh, that was cold. What a uh, brutal series. Out of the new, and a lot of them are nice, but two of them stand up for me above everything else. And that is uh, uh, San Francisco, phone company park, whatever phone company is owning the park now. Uh, <laughs> AT&T, Pac-Bell, whatever the hell, the U.S., I don't know what the hell it is. Uh, uh, that's beautiful. And the other one, by far, is PNC in Pittsburgh. That's awesome ballpark, yeah. It is you know, as shitty a baseball team as they are, <laughs> as shitty an organization as they've been. The one thing they did right was build that ballpark. That is a great, and it's small. Um, it that's a great. Those are the those are the two. I mean, there's some other ones. Seattle would be a great park. I like Seattle. However, the problem with Seattle is unfortunate because it doesn't face the water. Mm. You know, you know, by law, all the ballparks have to face uh, a certain direction. That's what the, it has to face. I'm not sure if it's east or west, but you notice that the shadows always come out from behind home plate. You never see the shadows coming in from center field. It's always coming out from home plate. So all the ballparks have to face. I, I like San Francisco. I can even, it's like you know, right any, ballpark, yeah, any ballpark. Yeah. Well, they face the bay. So they got water. Same thing with Pittsburgh faces the river and the downtown skyline. Uh, but Seattle, unfortunately, does not, you know, it does not, it faces the, so you don't get that water background that you'd like to have. All right. I got to ask one fan question. Cause we said you're going to be on the show and I said, I would for Ashley, she wants to know who was the best Joker and all the Batmans <laughs> again. I got to separate the incarnations of Batman. You have the, the first, let's say the first incarnation of Batman, which is 88, 89 to what is it? Uh, 95, 95 or so. We're not talking Cesar Romero. We're talking movies. Right. And then you got the Dark Knight series. So I'm going to separate the two. Now, the first incarnation of those four movies, was it four or five Batman movies then? I don't even remember. You know, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman and Robin, Batman, whatever it is. I've always been of the feeling that if you put put them back to back in order, that every hour of that series gets progressively worse. Until you, it's unwatchable with Batman and Robin and George Clooney. I mean, it's unwatchable. The Joel Shoemakers. Yeah. By the way, that's the way they want it to go. If it wasn't for the whole Batman thing is Tim Burton. It's all Tim. Without Tim Burton, there is none of this. Because believe me, Warner Brothers wanted to go jokey. They liked it. See, Tim Burton did not like the TV series. I hated the TV series. But it was, it was too campy for me. But Warner Brothers thought that's what they were going to get. And Tim Burton says, no, I'm not. that's not what I'm thinking about. And I once asked John Peters. If you, and you got to remember, there was social media back then. Michael Keaton is never going to be Batman. No. I remember when they cast Michael Keaton, who I knew from stand-up. We oh, that's right. Uh, and he Michael, went to my college, Kent State University. Yeah, there you go. Michael's Pittsburgh guy. Pittsburgh guy, too. Yes, he is. Yes, he yeah. is. Michael's a great actor. A great actor. And Michael, I knew. And I had seen Clean and Sober. And I could, but Warner Bros. had had him in Beetlejuice, so they thought he'd be funny and jokey. Tim knew better. But I once, and, and people forget that the, the fanboys back then went on, they were going crazy when Michael Keaton was announced as Batman. They said, I was one of them. Mr. Mom is Batman, all shit like this. And, <laughs> and now, the thing is, back then, nobody took the fanboys that seriously. 
you know, they didn't have, you know, there wasn't uh, social media back then. There wasn't Comic-Cons. You know, so it wasn't, okay, a couple of fans, who gives a shit? That wouldn't happen today. There's no way he could have withstood the avalanche of what happened today. So I once asked uh, John Peters while shooting the movie, who, if Michael Keaton didn't do it, who were you thinking of? You know, just to give you an idea of the ideas where they were going with it. Who do you think they wanted? Oh, I know in Beverly Hills Cop, they wanted Stallone. So that's how it started. That's how it started. I'm talking about Batman. Batman. Yeah. Ah, who? Earl, this is your wheelhouse. 1990? 88. 88. I would. Oh, boy. I could see them getting an Eddie Murphy. I mean, I know Batman's not African-American, but like a comic, uh, cartoony, campy actor uh i i give up mr wool like we could be here all day they wanted either bill murray or chevy chase okay oh you're my right. god you're okay right on so now you realize where this series would have gone right okay uh how we do it's all tim burton yeah 100 percent. because when tim leaves the series after batman returns which was too dark for everybody. They wanted Joel Schumacher to make it more campy, to make it go back to the fun Batmans. Now, I will say this, and this is generational. I think most things in life are generational. To the question on who's the best Joker, obviously the first incarnation is Jack. It's not it's Jack. The second incarnation, you know, make your own, uh, make your own choice. Um, Here's the difference. And my close friend and college classmate, Brett Cullen, played Thomas Wayne in the last in the Joker movie. And he was in a Dark Knight, one of the Dark Knight movies, too. The thing that they're different animals. The Dark Knight series is a lot darker, you know, than the Batmans were, the original Batman. The Batmans were dark for the time, but they were also fun. Jack Nicholson is funny. I mean, legitimately funny, cracking jokes. Whereas the jokers in the net, there's no fun in them. It's darker. Now, that is generational because post 9-11, things got darker for that generation. And there's no doubt. I once asked the film class about that. I asked them, why is every third movie about the apocalypse? You know, it's like yeah. every third movie seems to be about the apocalypse. And then one of them said, you know, we all grew up post 9-11. So, we, uh, so I go, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I don't find the, 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 I find them great movies, but not fun. Whereas the first, the first Batman, I can't say anything beyond that, was more fun. For, I'm not making a judgment call on that. It just is. So um, I was with Jack. So, I mean, I'm going to go Jack. I Team mean, Jack. There you go, Ashley. You know, <laughs> but, but again, I can't negate the greatness of, you know, Heath Ledger and the performance of Joaquin Phoenix. They're different movies. It's just, yeah. different. it's just different. I mean, Jack is a comic book character. The other guys aren't. Yeah, they're just psychopaths. <laughs> well, we Which could talk. Yeah, it's a, but it's a different. It's a different animal. Yeah. Well, we could talk to you all day, but we uh we got to wrap it up, Earl. Anything sure. else? Well, now I want to ask him about seven more questions of who the best Batman was, <laughs> who the no, baseball announcer was. But uh, we'll come back around. Okay. Yes. No. I, yeah, we'll, do, we'll do it again. Well, no, thank I, you. This I, is the, this has been a tremendous honor. I, I think I speak on behalf of Earl. Uh, again, uh, thank you for doing this, and uh, you know, best of luck to you and your future and your family. And uh, thanks again. And all the best to you guys and your podcast and your families. Be well. Be safe. All right, the great Robert Wall, Earl. Yes, close it out. Thank you so much, Mr. Wall. All right. 
he left quickly. <laughs> yeah, he was like, you asked me who my favorite baseball announcer is, I'll fucking stab you through the computer screen. Um, he was it, good. He warmed up. Yeah, I was. it was weird because I was trying to feel where he wanted to. And as soon as he hit the baseball thing, I go, okay, this is where we're going. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, I I thought maybe like 15 minutes in, oh, he's going to be the first one we've had that doesn't want to let loose or like whatever. Uh, but the, I think once we hit the baseball, you know. I feel like a complete ass because I totally forgot he was a comic because I didn't do any prep before I got. But then as soon as he said, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I signed you doing stand up. <laughs> I, well, I knew he, I thought he did more one man shows and stand. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's yeah. You know, but you know, he's probably happy deep down to do this. I mean, how many people are asking him to be interviewed? Like he had a great run. Oh dude, but, that's a great career. That is a fantastic career. But that you is, know, he's probably been asked to do an interview in a bit, you know? So like, does he wish it was you and I doing it? Probably not, but like, yeah, I'm sure he. <laughs> I wish he's. I'm getting a, I'm getting a question from Kevin Brennan. Uh, not about. Uh, he says, uh, "What happened? What did Leslie Jones do? She bumped Jezelnik and he split. That's what the that's what the word on the street is. Bumped Jezelnik where? I don't know. I mean, well, I know the last time I talked to him, probably a year and a half ago, he told me a great story that. He was about to go on in the OR and she came in and wanted to bump him. And he said, no, but I don't know if he's referring to that story or something that happened recently. Yeah. Did it happen again? I, I mean, that's what he makes it sound like, but um, uh, who knows before, before I go, uh, I got to go, but uh, are you on the store? Dude, lineup? Let's hang out and talk for a few hours. <laughs> uh, are you on the store lineup this weekend? I, I don't think I am. So, I mean, I'm friends with Emily, so I think I'll be. Oh, she's the booker. Yeah, she got it. So, I mean, that's good for me. But you know, obviously, we're not that good of friends. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's only two shows, though. So it's. I'm sure she's got to fill it with the Whitney's and Jeselnik's, and I got to. You know. I know Steve Simone flew back for the shows. Yeah, he might be on it too. Like I'm, like I'm loved up there, but I'm. You know, because I'm not exactly the most well-known. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't want. We're friends, so I didn't want to call her and hit her up. So yeah, yeah, you'll be on eventually. It'll work out. I know. I'm starting to get up more at the improv too. But I'm. Just, I got to branch out a little bit. So uh, did do that. Are they indoor yet? The improv? They're do, no. They're doing Thursday through Saturday in the patio, but it's pretty good. Like they fill it, and uh, you know they put me up semi-regularity so uh oh before i let you go did you see the piper documentary no i want to talk for a few hours dude uh, <laughs> I, I literally got to get to my gig <laughs> i don't care what about your gig it's about me no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh i mean i thought i should have been on it to be honest with you about the the stone cold podcast thing but uh i liked it i mean uh i thought it reeked of the wwe having their hands on it sure uh, you know, it's like kind of the Andre the Giant HBO thing, like, because I think, you know, the podcast story to me is fascinating because Stone Cold kicked us off. Yeah. So I thought they could have maybe delved into the end of his life a little better. Uh, but uh, it was good. I watched the whole thing. Did you like yeah. it? I loved it. I mean, you know, you know how much Roddy means to me is that, you know, I mean, he's the reason why I do stand up comedy. So no, he just it just reinforced about how much of a force of nature that guy was in that 
that entertainment field and just how good he was just, I mean, the way he got crowds going crazy. I mean, he was so fucking good. You should listen. And I'm not saying this cause I get mentioned in it, but Jim Cornette's yeah. uh, yesterday did a review of it and it's, he brought up a lot of good points. Like they glossed over. A he lot brought of, you up. Yeah. About it's pretty funny about the 20 minute mark. He's the, he was making fun of me, but it was all good. You know Jim uh, Cornette? I mean, well, we interviewed him once, and and he kept calling me a Canadian, and I'm like, no, Roddy says I'm a comedian. And he's like, you got a better chance of being a Canadian. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it was just stupid, but uh, he did a really good recap of it. I, did it I just come I, out? Did it just come out? Yeah, it's episode seventy eight. Okay, good. I have like an hour to my gig, so I'll just listen to it on on my way there now. Where, where are you at tonight? I'm in uh, Fort Walton Beach on a resort there. I'm doing a resort. Are you? Is this the gig I saw you headlining? Yes. Oh, great. Dude. Yeah, then I'm headlining the Comedy Zone in South Carolina this weekend. So I'm, on the, awesome. I'm on the road, baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, I might do some gig in Milwaukee coming up, uh, but some new club that just opened up. But Oh, you know. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, I know about that. I think the guy from the improv, I don't know if he helps book it, but he was like, yeah, you should do this club. It's not that much money, but I wouldn't mind getting out and doing an hour a couple times. Spread your wings. All right, Earl, this was a great bad guys episode. I believe volume six, anything you want to plug before we roll out? Um, not really to me. I'm the jellies on HBO max. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, geez, that's, I'm not going to lie. That's all I got going to be honest with you. <laughs> it's more than me. That's why I'll never make it. I'm too honest. I should say, yeah, I got a Netflix thing coming out. And I got like, no, I got, I got the jellies on HBO Max. And that was four months ago. So, All right. On behalf of Earl, this is Chad Zumach, Florida's Greatest, signing off. That's a wrap, guys. Leave a five-star review on both our podcasts, and we will be back very soon. Later. Out.